Hello and welcome to this week's episode. I'm a little nervous because this week is on a hot topic, Israel. Now, as you all know, I'm an Orthodox Jew and Israel's in very important to the Jewish people, but it comes with a lot of baggage, a lot of misinformation and very misunderstood. And this week I'm bringing in an expert, Noah Tishby, to talk about what is misunderstood. Why is it misunderstood? And some of the truths behind the arguments, the conflict, and maybe some ways to maybe work around them and deal with the struggles of mental health when it comes to advocacy. So I'm a little nervous because I'm not a political show, but I'm also really excited because it's something I'm very passionate about. So Noah was born and raised in Tel Aviv. She's an actress, producer, writer, and activist. And she got her start in Israel entertainment industry as a teen in the original musical, David. She received a drama scholarship from the Tel Aviv Museum of Art and went on to appear in the Israel's leading TV shows, films, theater, and ad campaigns, becoming a household name in her homeland. She recently appeared in the Showtime drama, The Affair, and completed shooting the third season of her talk show, Life, by Noah Tishby. As a producer, she brought the show In Treatment to HBO and with Mark, Wal- Mark Wahlberg. She has produced multiple shows from Israel to America, really connecting the two countries on entertainment. In 2011, Tishby founded the first Israel-focused online advocacy and rapid response organization called Act for Israel and became a powerful voice for Israel and the Middle East. In 2014, she initiated a partnership between the Schusterman Foundation and Summit Series and co-created Reality Israel, a series of leadership trips to Israel for Jews and non-Jews alike. To date, Reality has brought to Israel thousands of professionals in tech, music, food, sports, and the arts and sciences. She was recognized as one of the 50 most powerful Jews in the world and was on Hollywood Reporter's Women in Power list of international executives. She has a great book. I read it. It's amazing. Let's get right into this hot topic conversation. I hope you enjoy and I hope you learn something. Welcome to this week's episode of The Dude Therapist. I'm so excited to have this guest on because um, in season two, I had a great guest, Christian Picciolini, and we talked about the idea of breaking hate. Someone who was a neo-Nazi who now is so forward in peace and love and respect for others. And I have another guest on, Noah Tishbi, right now, who we're going to touch on something that's very personal, which is anti-Semitism in the world today, and defending something so beautiful and powerful that is so, such a hot topic in the world today. So, Noah, can you introduce yourself to the listeners? Hi. Um, hi. Hello. Um, uh, yeah. My name is Noah Tishby, and I'm an Israeli-American living in Los Angeles, fighting the good fight. Hopefully, <laughs> like a lot right? of us are trying, doing my best. <laughs> you are. You are. And and it's amazing. You know, when I found your account and the and, and also your book is so powerful, how was that process going from Israel back into America? Do you see a difference in how we view um, Israel as a whole, and what was that? Of course, there's a difference, but how was that change for you, being in a totally different place that looks at the world that you grew up in and are still so connected to? Yeah. So first of all, just to give your listeners a background, because they may be like, "Who is Noah Tishby?" Well, you should um, know. They so should know. They should I know don't who you are. know. Who knows? I'm <laughs> never assuming that they 
do. Seriously. I mean, you know, Mick Jagger, everybody should know who he is, but like <laughs> me, not really. Uh, yeah. So I was born and raised in Israel. I've been in the human industry since I was a kid um, in Israel. I'm, I've been um, acting and producing and writing uh, both here and in Israel. I was um, lucky enough to bring the first television show to the United States as a producer, a show called In Treatment on HBO. And um, I have been involved in the periphery of my life in the past 15 years or so in um, advocacy for Israel. And the reason was is because obviously I was born and raised in Israel. But when I moved to the States, I realized that people literally have no idea um, about Israel whatsoever. Like they, you know, from from the times I started kind of coming here 20 years ago, where people confused Israel with Afghanistan, asking me how's if my family is okay with the fact that I'm not wearing a burqa, um, mm. all the way to uh, to now. And in the past few years, I've seen a dangerous shift happening in the percep- perception of Israel, where it changed from like, is Israel normal? The Israeli-Palestinian conflict, the political kind of debate to delegitimizing Israel's right to exist as a state. And that um, was happening mostly on the left and the far left. And I consider myself a liberal. And I was very surprised and alarmed by the fact that um, liberals don't understand the dynamic in the Middle East and don't know what's happening there and what Israel needs to deal with and are um, aligning themselves knowingly or unknowingly with uh, nefarious forces that are literally everything that is anti-liberalism. So growing up in Israel, you feel like you're in a way the center of the universe. To you, to, to Israelis, for us, the, the, it seems like everybody knows how crazy the Middle East is. Everybody knows that we're dealing with a bunch of like, you know, theocratic, autocratic, Islamist, failed states, various in various to various degrees, and that Israel is the single consistent democracy in the region, and it's doing its best in the toughest neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it was obvious to me as well that everybody gets that. And it was it became very clear when I started coming here that no, not everybody gets that. So I jumped to uh, to help and have been involved again in advocacy and kind of explaining Israel to people for many, many, many years. And um, in the, you know, a few years ago, when I started noticing this shift, I realized that people actually don't know the basics of Israel and that there is no book out there that tells the story of Israel in a way that's relatable, that's fun, that's funny, that's like easy to understand. And I just kept looking for that book and I didn't find it. So I wrote it. So the book came out in April. It's called Israel, a simple guide to the most misunderstood country on earth. And um, yeah, it came out, it came out in April and about a month later, the toughest war between Israel and Hamas erupted. Yeah. So things became crazy in a hurry. And it's been like that back and forth for years. You know, Mm -hmm. as an Orthodox Jew, I'm very aware, you know, I went to a high school, uh, Jewish high school that uh, we even had a um, a day uh, for partition day where the principal would educate us on those things that get lost in history. Mm-hmm. Um, right. His name is Yotav Eliach, Rabbi Eliach, or um, his mother was a Holocaust survivor and uh, very involved in uh, Israel advocacy, the Eliach family. Mm-hmm. And um, it's just amazing for me to hear because a lot of Israelis moved to America so, and they're not all out there like you are in the public, pushing, mm-hmm. promoting, um, educating. What was that shift for you 
being just one of the people that amongst myself included advocating and trying to help or educate around their neighborhoods to make that shift to a bigger picture? What was that push for you to jump that, that, that tier? I can't say that it was one incident. Uh, it was literally like a frog in, a boil, in boiling water. It was mm-hmm. very kind of slow burn that I started doing it at like literally dinner parties and with friends and like drawing maps on dinner on napkins and explaining to people the difference between Hamas and Gaza, I mean, Hamas and the Palestinian Authority and Gaza and the West Bank and drawing borders and it went to um, speaking at events and then starting a nonprofit Israel advocacy organization and then speaking to more people. And then like it, it started, it was gradual. It just, I found this misunderstanding everywhere. And one of the things that's important to know for anybody, Jews, non-Jews, right? That the safety and security of Israel, like Israel's security is not, it's not a Jewish issue, right? I'm so it's glad not you Israel- said that. It's not. It's not a Jewish issue or an Israeli issue. It's it's a national security issue, and it's important for Western civilization. Like Israel is the forefront, like the front line of a worldwide war, and it is the most reliable and the single ally that the U.S. and Western countries have in that entire region. If and and you know who gets that? <laughs> like the entire Middle East gets that, mm-hmm. but the people who don't get that are the social activists in America. They and just it- don't get it. You touched on something earlier that I really want to flesh out a little bit. I'm so glad you said that thing that it's not a Jewish issue because I think people associate, and that's what ended up happening recently, right? Was that people were turning against Jews around the world, um, attacking, hating, Mm -hmm. abusing, beating up, fighting, yelling, screaming, because Israel is associated with Jews. So Jews are the cause of whatever's happening there and we're the problem. Mm -hmm. When in reality has nothing to do with that, it happens to be that it is a Jewish state, um, but it has nothing to do with Jews associated with the politics or anything like that that's going on. There's of two course. different two different ideas. And the same thing with Zionism, right? That idea is now being overutilized as a problem that, you know, anti-Zionist. Oh, I'm not I'm not anti-Semitic, I'm anti-Zionist. Right? And yeah, they use that rhetoric. They're the same. Yeah, it's exactly. The, it's the same thing. And the, it, it, this stems from lack of understanding and like uh, of what Zionism is to begin with. And it stems from a an intentional political campaign that's been waged against Israel in the past 20 or so years. So the word Zionism has been confiscated and was given different meanings to it. Mm-hmm. And like, let's just be clear about what Zionism is. Please. And I say this all the time. Okay. So Zionism is a movement for Jewish liberation and self-determination in a Jewish, not exclusively Jewish state. That's all it is. All right. So it's about the Jews allowed to have a state like any other nation, like the, like any other nation. And if you're an anti-Zionist and that rage is targeting one state in the world, so you're not anti-China or anti-North Korea or anti-whatever, if you don't want to dismantle all other states in the world, you just want to dismantle one state, there is a name for that. That's mm-hmm. anti-Semitic. Like there's mm-hmm. no, you know, whether you ag- acknowledge that or not, it's, that's just what it is. Oh, it's so, powerful. so, yeah. And it's, and it's, um, it's, it, because it was that with the meaning of that word was taken away from 
from it was it was taken away. The meaning that that word was giving a different meaning now. Mm-hmm. So by social justice activists, they can describe Zionism as racism. There was this UN resolution that was then revoked mm-hmm. about Zionism equating the Zionism is racism. It couldn't be farther from the truth. Zionism was never about exclusivity of Jews. Never, ever, ever. So if you are against Jewish self-determination, which nation are are you also against their self-determination? Yeah. Like if you're against Jewish self-determination, how do you feel about the Tibetans or the Kurds or the Palestinians for that matter? Mm. You can't be just against Jewish self-determination. That's just crazy talk. Yeah. And that's a totally different idea than that's anti-Semitism. And then, so you talked about the shift that's been happening for the past, Mm -hmm. let's say 20 years. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's just interesting. You called yourself liberal, but at the same time, that viewpoint that's supposed to be open, loving, right? Uh, Giving everyone opportunity is a lot of the source of stuff that's happening where is this misinformation? How is this being created? What's going on that it's so uneducated and so false in nature that people are misunderstanding what is true and facts versus what is reshared or retweeted or rememed over and over and over again? That's the thing I saw the most recently that happened with, uh, with the war. So much resharing of just lies. Lies. Yeah. And people are like, well, this person shared it, so it must be true versus actually mm-hmm. doing the own research. So Nobody wants to misinfor- do research. Yeah, no one does. <laughs> so where no. does this misinformation start from that, that creates this, this voice of, of, of lies and, and, and misinformation? Okay, so it's, it, this, uh, this is a wider answer. Okay, so first of all, we all need as humanity to look at our society in the context of fake news and the war on truth in general. This is literally true for for everything from like, you know, from vaccines to, you know, QAnon to whatever to like there's there's a there's a um, there's a war on truth happening everywhere. And as a society, we're going to have to figure out what are we going to do about this? Because words create our reality. Words are not there to describe our reality. They're literally creating our reality. And by repeating these um, falsehoods in every aspect of life, we're creating different realities for different people. So we're, we're in a world in which we can't agree on facts. Mm-hmm. So that's number one. The way Israel and the Jewish people are suffering from this particularly, specifically, is because these uh, this language of um, trying to brand Israel an apartheid state or uh, turning the conflict, Israeli-Palestinian conflict or the Israeli-Arab world conflict into a human rights issue rather than a political issue, which again, it's not a human rights issue. It's a political issue, okay, has been done on purpose. So it's not by accident, it's by design that this has been going on. So these words have permeated the zeitgeist because a group of people, specifically a a movement called the BDS, the Boycott, Divestment and Sanctions Movement, which was taken its language from uh, the Durban Conference for Anti-Racism in 2001 in South Africa, which became so anti-Semitic that the United States and Israel walked away from the conference. They're Mm -hmm. like, what are you guys doing? That was when the concept of trying to brand Israel an apartheid state, which again, isn't supported by facts whatsoever. Because if you know that, the, like the people within Israel, the, the, the majority of um, 
that Israel is 21% Arab minority. They have exactly the same rights as the Jews. They are part of the entire fabric of Israeli society from the Supreme Court all the way to entertainment, medicine, like whatever, everything. the government, everything. So it's literally to say Israel is an apartheid state is literally false. Okay. If you want to have a conversation about the West Bank, let's have a conversation about the West Bank and why that isn't Palestine yet. But that, you know, that's the nuance that you have to understand in order to have an actual discussion about this. But it wasn't an accident that these words have permeated the zeitgeist this way. It was by design and created with, you know, and by countries um, that want Israel off the map. So that's what has been going on. And I would venture to say that they have succeeded beyond their wildest dreams. For them to see beyond, for them to see this crap all the way from, you know, Bela Hadid to Dua Lipa to all these like social, like all these idiots that are just reposting and re, you know, like reprinting what they know is not true, right? Is, you know, I'm sure they were like, oh my God, wow, those people are stupider than we thought. Yeah. And and the hard part for my, you know, my wife and I, we got very, you know, as we were very adamant about uh, Israel, we love Israel. We we will study there. I went to Shalavim. She went to uh, Michalala. We, we, you know, we there for, I was going to go to the uh, Israeli army actually. um, But Mm. unfortunately, because I have Crohn's, um, I I couldn't be, uh, I was going to be a jobnik, which is someone. Mm -hmm. uh, And I was like, you know what? I really want to do this, but you know, maybe this is just selfish of me. I was like, I really want to do this and support Israel and be there for, for my, you know, I was in a Hezdi Yeshiva, right? It was um, geared with Israelis and Americans together um, to be there with them, my brothers, mm-hmm. you know, all together. I have cousins who I want to be part of that, that story and that, that fight. Um, and it didn't work out. And for us to see um, people in our workplace, uh, people around us that we knew uh, be so anti what, what we are, um, in such an aggressive, intense, bullyish, um, hateful way was really, really hard for my wife specifically. I separated. I stopped looking. I stopped posting, yeah. which is not good either, by the way, when I want to talk about that also, because I think that's what ends up happening. Either you get so into it and you get pulled into that rabbit hole of just constantly seeing overwhelmed and kind of being this idea of being woke to the truth of how much hate there is against it. Mm-hmm. Or you pull away to the opposite. So my wife was solely consumed by it. it. It was on her mind. She couldn't sleep. It was so overwhelming for her. And that's when I started getting interested in your work. I'm like, she's a, like, I don't know how she does it. How do you <laughs> balance? Like, how do you balance yourself, your self care with, I'm sure all the hate and the, the misinformation going around you and it not consuming you at all times because it can be all consuming. And then how do yeah. you avoid not hiding? Huh, right. So first of all, this goes to mental health, right? Yep. This this goes to um, being um, rooted in yourself and having some sort of a, a practice, years of practice of, um, for lack of a better word, thicker skin. Okay, so I started my advocacy work professionally around 2010, 2011. And since I kind of jumped on Twitter, I've been followed by Radio Hamas. I, I think I received my first online thread, death threat, when I in like around that time, like 2011, Radio the first Hamas? time when they were like, yeah, wow. I don't even know if they exist anymore. But that at the time, I was like, holy crap! Oh my god, I don't know how I feel about that. You know what I mean? Like I got my first death threat um, in whatever 2010, 2011, sometimes there, and I went to the police. I'm like, oh my god, they're like, we know where you live, watch your back. You know, I don't even know who that was, but it was like a troll. 
of some sort. And I since learned to live with that. I think that a, the thing is this, right? In our brains, the way our brains work is that imagining something and actually doing it, um, reading something and actually hearing it, like it kind of operates on the same level. Like it, it tells our brain tells us that this is real, right? But the fact of the matter is, if somebody's threatening me online and saying, you Zionist pig, it's not the same as somebody, God forbid, pointing a gun at you. Mm -hmm. So to know that it's not, quote unquote, real threat to some extent, obviously, you have to watch if, if things become threatening in reality, as they have throughout the conflict where, where Jews were actually attacked on the streets in like America and all over the world. Um, but for the online world, you have to know to separate it. You have to be rooted in facts and history such that you, when they say uh, whatever the evil stuff that they say, you know, man, that's actually not true. And God knows who this person is, probably a bot from Qatar. And know to ignore it, not read it all the time. I'm actually pretty adamant about not reading comments and not reading the DMs and not, you know, I just don't because, and I'm sure I'm missing. I know that throughout the war, I actually missed a lot of really good people that were retweeting me and following me and reaching out. And I had to kind of go back and, you know, oh, hi, Deborah Messing. Thank you so much for posting about my book, <laughs> you know, totally missed that. Um, but you have to know to separate what is real and what is not. You have to be rooted in truth and reality. And at the end of the day, I think that all of us for our mental health, we should know that the fact that somebody tells us we're, we're you know, somebody tells us something bad doesn't necessarily mean anything. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's, a, it's a matter of practice. Like if you've done something wrong to a friend of yours and your friend comes over and goes, listen, I want to talk to you. You've done something bad. You, you listen to them. But if a random tells you, you've, you know, blah, 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 whatever, Okay, that's a random. Your opinion isn't that important. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like that's the percent. thing. That's the thing about social media that I kind of I try to laugh at. I'm like, we live in a world in which everybody thinks that their opinion matters. And if a random from Qatar tweets at me that I'm an idiot, he's not Thomas Friedman. No, your opinion doesn't matter that much. It just yeah. doesn't. Yeah. So that's that's the thing to know to separate, obviously, between what is real and what isn't be rooted in truth and history and facts and know to like put a put a block blockage on it. And by the way, I'm saying this, but the, the fact was that throughout the war, at, like when my book came out and then the war happened, I didn't sleep for months Didn't sleep, didn't eat. I was in full on anxiety every single day. It was so intense. Right. To a point in which I actually did get sick come June when everything came, like kind of calmed down, I actually got sick for a few days. I was completely paralyzed. Like my kid was out of town and I was like on my own for a bit and the war happened and my body just crumbled. So I had to stop and, you know, take care of myself. So this, there's a price to pay for it, but it's our responsibility to know where to put, you know, where to put the boundaries and where to put, put ourselves first. Um, I, I love that you just said that last part. That's so important for people to hear that even you, who is a huge face of, of good, uh, fighting for something so important, still struggles as well. And of it's course. about that compartmentalizing. It's about that separation of self, of removing yourself sometimes. It's also that, that thing that you said, the difference between someone pointing a gun at you and then threatening you online, feeling like someone's pointing a gun at you. Yes. They're two exactly. separate things. They're two and separate things. And our brain tells us that they're the they're same. They're the same. 
but they're not. <laughs> exactly. It's anxiety <laughs> response. Not. Yeah. And, and, and then for you, and of course, if you can't talk about this because of security uh, reasons, do you have to change or have over the years, have you had to actually get protection? Um, I have been suggested that many, many times and I keep, um, uh, let's say evaluating each situation as it comes, as it comes along. Okay. That's your so, right. Right. That's your yeah. right as a person to, I know, yeah. uh, Richard Joel, who used to be the, uh, the president of uh, Yeshiva university, uh, mm-hmm. had security team and, a uh, you know, a protected limo and stuff like that from his house when he would go back and forth between places and when he would go out because he was on that list, the same list that you're on of the top influential Jewish uh, voices in the world, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, it's a, it's, it can be a, a, a huge responsibility and sometimes can feel like a burden um, uh, carrying all that weight on your shoulders. Um, but it is an amazing responsibility that I, I see as a huge, a huge, amazing thing that you're doing for us, Thank for you. us as, 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 uh, as people. And I find it so interesting. You talked about when people were being attacked on the street. For Western values. It's yes, not for the exactly. Jewish people. It's literally for Western values. And for us. That's why I said for, for Western, us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I said for standing us. Standing up for, for all Western of us. values. Yeah. Exactly. Democracy and having a free, uh, safe place to live. Um, yeah. and, and it's so interesting how the thing that boggled my mind during the war, I was sitting there watching stuff happening in America. Like, you're going to attack a random Jew in Brooklyn or in Canada. What does that have to do with anything going on in Israel. Nothing. It really doesn't. But this but goes to my point exactly. again that anti-Zionism is anti-Semitism. And the fact that you allow yourself to be anti-Zionist is because you have a conversation in your head, conscious or subconscious, yep. about them Jews. Yeah. And it's so interesting that you talked about that idea um, of staying strong or uh, built in facts, the hard part that I think a lot of people, when they don't know facts well enough or not as well-educated, well-researched or well-versed like you are and other people of that of that caliber, it can get very confusing when someone is louder, stronger, more aggressive than you to doubt, to, to waver, or to even question truth. Um, yeah. That's why course. I think your book is so important, right? Because it yeah. gives a source sheet or facts and I think in the world we live today with this idea of this f- constant fight against this idea of news, fake news, facts, fiction, all that stuff, it can become verging delusional um, that people believe certain things as true and fact, when in reality, it's not based in anything, yeah. but just But the good thing that is ideas. that it went, it went so far to the crazy side that I had a lot of people, not just that, I think, I feel like the Jewish community was completely caught off guard by this. Yeah. And I wasn't. And a bunch of us activists weren't like that's literally there. Is, there isn't a single thing that Bella Hadid tweeted that isn't addressed in my book. Like I saw this coming. Yeah. That's why I wrote the book, yeah. right? But most of the Jewish community was shocked by what was going on, and a lot of the non-Jewish like I had non-Jewish friends calling me, being like, "Wait, what? What on earth is going on here?" She's like, they're like, "I don't know that much about the Middle East, but I'm pretty sure Israel is not a genocide state." Yeah. What is this? Yeah. So it went so far to the crazy side that I feel like, first of all, it's good that it's out in the open. So everything that we kind of saw, activists, like the activists, we saw this coming. We try to warn people that it's for years and years and years, right? Is all out in the open. So now we can actually do something about it. And, and, and like then, with everything is happening in Afghanistan, like the whole thing that's going on in the Middle East right now, it's like there, there are peace treaties between Israel and like moderate Arab countries. And then there are countries that are literally falling prey to this 
Sunnis, like Sunni Islamist doctrine. Like yeah. that's what we're dealing with here. It yeah. is a, a function of good and bad, good there and is. evil, you know? Yeah, of yeah. course. And, so. and then other than the activists, of course, you know, you've been fighting the good fight for a while. What about the regular, the regular people like me and, and my wife and family members and people in the community? I know we wanted to touch upon this a little bit and I want to talk about that. How do we, where's our action? What, what can we do as maybe not someone who has such a huge platform or a book or, or more powerful in that in their words and the, the platform that they bring to the table for the regular Joe Schmo or the regular person uh, in, in the world? How do we step up? What can we do to combat anti-Semitism and the fight that we're, we're, we're trying to, to, to figure out? Okay. Number one, get yourself educated on the facts. Very important. Because when somebody comes at you, and this I think is the dis, dishonest, the, like the, the, the disservice that we did to like our college kids, Yes. right? Is that we didn't tell them, we didn't tell them how to address the tough questions. So anybody that goes to college needs to know how to answer why Israel is not an apartheid state, period, end of story. Like, because otherwise they just get exposed to it for the first time in college and like, wait, what? What do you mean? Right. So that's number one. Number two, in terms of fighting anti-Semitism, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's funny, but it's this is how I see it. Know that it's not going to end. You're not going to be able to solve it. You're just going to be able to move the ball forward a little bit. <laughs> okay. That was literally a question like, I had. I, I wrote a question yeah. later. Like, is this a lost cause or is this worth It's not a fighting? lost cause at all. Of course it's worth fighting. Absolutely. Exactly. Just it's not worth fighting. Don't get discouraged because I'm telling you already, anti-Semitism is the oldest form of hate, which is still acceptable. It's been around for thousands of years. What makes us think that we're going to end it? Mm-hmm. So we're not going to end it. We just need to bring it to the forefront so people can actually think about it and reevaluate and kind of choose differently. So if you get into a task knowing that it's not going like it's it's almost like don't get discouraged throughout the process just know that it's a you know this is a lifetime of of work and um and and do your best to educate people around you and by that create you know create make the world better which is like tikkun olam which we were mandated to do yeah and is there a point where you know of course some conversations cannot be figured out there's people that are just have differing opinions and no matter what facts or ideas you are bringing, they have an answer, an excuse, they're running away, they're avoiding, whatever it is. How do you balance when a conversation is done or when it isn't worth it at that point and mm. to let it go and add on how to create those safe conversations to not make it personal, but more about the ideas? So I have been to many conversations with a lot of friends throughout the years that were dead end. So the people that are lost causes, like the conspiracy theorists, the, you know, Israel is a genocide state, the, the ones that aren't willing to listen. I've been to those conversations. I'm sure, you know, your listeners, everybody would be like, yeah, I know that person. There's nothing. There's no way. Nothing we can say to them. But I do believe that out of 10 people, and I'm, this is anecdotal, obviously, um, two of them are kind of like lost. They're like a far fringe, far right, far left, whatever. They're, they hate Jews. They hate Israel. They're not. They're not going to, they're not going to listen, but eight of them are going to, are on the fence or don't know enough or are willing to listen. So, you know, talk to those people. Don't talk to the ones that are, that are lost cause. Don't talk to them. And in terms of safe space, I hate that word. It's not safe space. It's real space. Okay. Mm. So in order to create this like real space or or safe space or whatever you want to call it, you need to be able to not be triggered. You. So me, when I have a conversation with somebody like that, 
I need to be able to take care of my own self well-being to not get triggered when I'm talking to an anti-Semite. Hmm. Do you that see what so, I mean? That is so important. And, and I love, and I use that word safe. I was like, hoping, I was hoping you'd get, um, you would push back on that idea of the safe space word. Bullshit. I, I hate that word French. as well. Enough no, you can have French. That. Go for it. Enough um, with that. Yeah, exactly. Enough with the safe space. Safe space is created. Every one of us has the responsibility to not get triggered. And we have you to can, create it for you, ourselves. Yes. That literally, we can't walk around in the world being like, stop triggering us. Who's triggering you? You're triggering yourself. I know this for myself. Listen, I, I've been through this many times. We've all been through this with our, like, you know, colleagues and partners and parents. There is, there are trigger points, right? If I get triggered by somebody, it's my role to not get triggered. I can't walk around the world being like, stop triggering me, world. Mm -hmm. What is that about? It's lazy. It's stupid. And that's the world we're in, unfortunately. This world that is like, the world where it's everyone else's problem, everyone else's fault. It's and that's how we create this cancel culture in which mm -hmm. you can't actually have a debate. How, so, how exactly so everybody who list like li literally, this is something to take for, you know, for when, life. when if any for life. When this podcast finishes, just think of like the person that triggers you and find a way to not get triggered, to undo the trigger, to figure out what it is that, you know, they're not doing something to you. They're doing something to themselves. They have, a, you know, whatever. I'm going to listen to this. It doesn't mean anything about me. If I'm sitting and having conversation, I've had this many times with anti-Semites, people who like literally think the Jews are X, Y, and Z. I go, okay, got it. All right, great. So why do you think this? Why do you think that? Like sit with uncomfortable conversations. Mm -hmm. We have as a society be able to learn. You have to be, we have to be able to do this. And, and you know, I want to quote two. Well, one, this is a very, uh, there's a therapy model called ACT, um, mm -hmm. Accepted Committed Therapy. And it's about the idea of accepting the things that are happening without it being against you, but just being. And, I mean, uh, this is basic. Basic like, life, sound, right? Basic sounds life Sounds like, yeah. Uh, and we've yeah. lost that. We've lost that as a society. There's a great book uh, by Lori Gottlieb. She wrote a book, Maybe You Should Talk to oh, Someone. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The yeah. first chapter, yeah. um, there's a great story where she's having a struggling, uh, she's struggling with an interaction with a client who's yelling, screaming, aggressive, uh, verging on abusive to her as a therapist. And she has to remind herself, this is not about me, it's about them. It's not about me, it's about them. Because sometimes we have to keep ourselves cool because something's going on in someone else. And it's our responsibility to keep ourselves in check, to be able to either help someone, educate someone, talk to someone, deal with someone as a human being. We can't start acting out inappropriately just because they are two wrongs of course. to right. So and I love course, that you said by that. By the way, there's, there's, you know, there's boundaries. If somebody's abusive, oh. you know, if you're a therapist, you need to be able to deal with that if that's what you choose. But if somebody's obviously there, there are boundaries. Um, but like that, you know, when, when, a, when a student is sitting in a classroom and they're offended by a professor who's talking about something like that they don't like, that's crazy town. Yeah. Cause not liking it doesn't mean it. as a therapist, I can say this with a hundred percent of, of certainty, not liking something is not a trauma or anxiety trigger. Of course not. And also not liking something, meaning something triggers you is is functioning as a sign for you to look at something within yourself that you need to work through. Yes. yes. So we only get triggered by two things. Like by, by one, we only get triggered in a way if we think we got caught. If somebody's seeing something that we don't want to see, if something, if we make it mean about something about ourselves, that's literally it. 
There's no reality outside. Like if somebody says something that triggers you, you're triggered. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And Ugh. even if somebody says something to you, you know, you are an asshole. You're like, okay, I got that. That's your perception. That's awesome. Yeah. All right. Wonder why you say that. Doesn't yeah, mean exactly. it's true. Exactly. I say this to my five-year-old. He's like, he's not very nice. He said, so he said, I'm a, I'm a baby. Right. Yeah. He comes up to me. He goes that, that friend, you know, whatever at, at temple at synagogue, that kid, I don't want to go back there. He said, I'm a baby. And I just looked at him and I was like, and how'd you, how'd you make it feel? And he's like, not good. And I was like, yeah, monkey, but are you a baby? He's like, no. I'm like, then there you go. Why are you upset about it? <laughs> it's like just to my five-year-old. Right. So, you know, this uh, get, is another this is, sickness of humanity. Exactly. And this is a touchy topic to- for me because it's so bad. It's so pr- such a problem that I have with society. It's so bad. You know, I want to touch on and jump a little bit for the last couple of minutes about um, your amazing show in treatment. How did you, did you, (laughs) did you, cause this is, that's about therapy. Um, And by the way, very well done. I've watched it. I think it's, it's a very, as a therapist, I enjoy the interactions and and, idiosyncrasies of the therapist (laughs) and the the boundaries and lack of boundaries and all that kind of stuff that comes into it. It's so well done. So how was the process transferring something over from Israel into uh, America and tailoring it to American TV. And did you come up with the idea? Was it your baby of in treatment <laughs> or is it someone else's that you just happened to pass along? It was somebody else's. Um, but it's, um, so it was a show that actually uh, was very successful in Israel. It was a show that was running in Israel. And after the first, first season ended, everybody was talking about it and it was a real cultural phenomenon. And I have been looking for stuff to produce in the United States for a while because I've been acting and producing since I was a kid, basically in in high school. And I heard about the show and I just had one of those like epiphanies, like a a moment in time when I literally remember driving in a cab with my manager in Israel. And I was like, oh, my God, (laughs) it's a format. It can be adapted to English. It's a perfect show. This is amazing. It's never been done before, right? Because they've done this with like shows from England, but it's yeah. like English to English, yeah. never Hebrew to English. Um, and when I and I approached the creator and I'm like, I'm going to sell your show to HBO. And he looked at me as if I'm crazy. And there wasn't a, at the time, there literally wasn't even a clause in a contract that was referring to international rights sales mm-hmm. or format sales. Like it just hadn't, it's never been done before. Like, so I was literally like, you know, inventing something completely new. And it was the same with America when it came back, came back and started calling people and were like, I have a show from Israel. They're like, good for you. Why are you calling me about it? Right. Uh-huh. I'm like, no, no, you don't understand. Like we adopted to the U.S. Blah, blah, blah. So, um, I mean, it worked out. Really? You know, we, we did, yeah, four seasons, you know, whatever. It's like 14 Emmy and Golden Globe nominations. It's, it's, it's done amazing and it's funny because i um was with my therapist i'm a big fan of therapy by the way of any kind of therapy i just think that humans cannot be left to their own devices thank you for saying we that. all need help yeah, yeah yeah oh yeah listen there's a saying in in hebrew in judaism mm-hmm. okay which means make yourself a rabbi which literally means find somebody to talk to yep. <laughs> consult with someone mm-hmm. because we can't if, if somebody tells me, this is like the worst thing. If somebody tells me like, you know, I'm my own best therapy. I sit around and I think about things and then I solve things. I'm like, no, you don't. Uh, the worst thing <laughs> no, you to don't. hear. I have people tell me that no, all you the don't. time. I'm like, no, you don't. No, you, you don't. Don't. You can't. We can't. We can't. I can't. You can't. All the listeners. Nobody can't. We can't. We can't. We have in our own heads, our perception of ourselves and of reality is skewed, period, end of story. Yep. So we always have to make ourselves a rabbi, find somebody to talk to. So 
So I was with my, um, in whatever doctrine, by the way, it can be therapy, it can be an actual rabbi or a priest, it can be a, a Kabbalah classes, it can be landmark education, it can be whatever it is, anything, as long as it's anything that, ha- anything that is that gives you outside feedback mm-hmm. from an, another human being. Yeah. <laughs> so whatever it is. Um, so I was with my therapist at the time and everything was kind of like taking, taking you know, taking form and, and starting to happen. And I was like, uh, listen, I'm working on something that I think you would really like and would actually make a difference in your profession. And, uh, and it actually happened. I know that a lot of therapists really appreciate in treatment, yeah, really appreciate the what show. It does. I appreciate it on many levels. One, just opening the conversation for therapy, destigmatizing it, that anyone and everyone, if you look at the show, um, and you, if you, if you're listening and, and you, you, first of all, I'm definitely, we got to buy the book, right? We got to get the book, your book. The second thing is you got to watch the show because mm-hmm. it shows you that anyone and everyone of all walks of life of different ethnicities, cultures, backgrounds, religious beliefs, uh, financial abilities are in the show. Yes. I know right. they're all actors. I get it. It's fake, <laughs> but it just shows you the range of people that need help. And it's not just the rich white people. Yes. Right. It's not the the wealthy person in your neighborhood or the drug addict, terrible looking person who has schizophrenia. It's anyone and everyone. I've worked in psych units. I've worked in outpatient treatments. I've worked with so many walks of life, different languages, different religions, different backgrounds, different countries, everything. Anyone yeah. and everyone needs that. So we are all yeah. the same. Isn't that beautiful? We no, are I, all the same. I really appreciate your time today. I could talk to you for hours about this because it's such a passion. <laughs> it's really, my, I'm like sweating. I'm so into, into this conversation. It's so, it's such a, a flow and passion. Um, where can people find you? Where can they reach out to you? Where can they gain knowledge from you? And where can they be educated on the topics that we talked about today? So um, you can all go to Amazon right now and order the book, Israel, Done. A Simple Guide to the Most Misunderstood Country on Earth. It's available wherever you get your books or your audio or your anything. So you can do that and follow mostly on Instagram, to be honest. No Tishby on Instagram. Amazing. Really, yeah. Noah, thank you so much for making the time today. I know you're busy. Pleasure. And I really appreciate it. Thank you. This was fun. Thank you so much to listening to this week's episode of The Dude Therapist. And it only is happening because of you, the listeners, tuning in every week, even twice a week, to this show all about mental health, relationships, and wellness topics. And really, let's be honest, everything in between. And I'm so excited to show up every time and having great guests. So thank you. And if you have any questions, concerns, ideas, collaborations, email me at thedudetherapist at gmail.com. Follow me on Instagram at thedudetherapist. Let me know what you're thinking. Let me know your ideas. I can't wait to hear from you. And if you can go along, subscribe, rate, review on all the streaming sites that you're listening on. I truly appreciate it because that's what makes this thing happen. So thanks for tuning in this week. And see you next time on the Dude Therapist Podcast, because we've got more guests and more great content coming your way.